0: A quick note: We will not be using clips unless they're in the trailer for obvious reasons. So we'll try to do the scenes as accurately as possible, or say the quotes as accurately as possible. But we might goof. Maybe when the film comes out, I'll go back in and <laughs> put the clips in instead. We'll see. We are the Sherlock Holmes English-speaking vernacular. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Studying Granada, a biweekly podcast where I'm Mike Noel, a fan but not <laughs> expert of the Sherlock Holmes canon, have roped my somewhat neophyte friend Jackson Eflin into watching the 1980s Granada television series starring Jeremy Brett. And we read the stories and we talk about it. Jackson, uh, welcome to this irregular, you might say, or off-the-books episode. Mm.
1: <laughs> you're uh, you're not afraid of breaking the continuity? Not in a good cause.
0: <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, so this Christmas, a film was released, and Jackson and I figured it would be in our purview to do a... Bonus episode makes it sound like it's a treat.
1: An unasked for episode.
0: Yeah, unauthorized. <laughs> we went and saw the Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, Holmes and Watson. Currently, mm. as we're recording this, sitting at a 6% at Rotten Tomatoes.
1: That said that is up from four from yesterday. And so zero
0: from the day before.
1: <laughs> by the time you hear this, it may well be in the double digits.
0: It wasn't. By the time you hear this, it might be in the Criterion Collection. It wasn't. I know, you're not that long of an editor. So, Jackson, do we want to start with a synopsis?
1: Yeah, actually, that's kind of... We are going to spoil the whole thing, so if you're planning to watch it, um, you can turn this off now. However, I feel that if you're a fan of Sherlock Holmes movies, maybe you don't do that. Instead, you listen to all of Mike's podcasts, the Equalizers. Because... It's not this movie. That's,
0: uh, that's fair. Some of them come
1: close. Yeah. So... Here's a really, like, brief, quick fit version of it, because, like, outside of the genre trappings of this film, I kind of like the plot. So, Sherlock Holmes is bullied as a kid and decides to shut off all emotions and become a crime fighter. And then he becomes Sherlock Holmes, like, you know, the, the Sherlock Holmes. And Moriarty is about to be let go because all the evidence against him can't stick, and if Holmes can't get to the courtroom by noon, then Moriarty goes free. Holmes manages to get there just in time, burst in, and prove the man innocent. Everybody gasps, and not only does Holmes prove that he's innocent, he proves that he's not actually Moriarty. Da-da-da-da. And so the man goes free.
0: The salient point, real quick, is important to note, it is an identical lookalike of Moriarty. Yes. Also played by Ray Fiennes. Yes. Continue. That's, that was an important note to the...
1: Right. More bodies start showing up. Solve this case in four days, or I will kill the queen. Signed, Professor James Moriarty. While doing so, he and Watson meet two lady doctors, a Grace Hart and her patient, a woman with the mental age of a four-year-old, ostensibly. Yes,
0: yeah, she was raised by feral cats. Yes, according to Grace, and slight mm. spoiler: we don't find out she's actually a doctor till the very end of the movie. She is a feral cat child in Victorian dress for pretty much the whole movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Which makes it weird when Holmes starts crushing on her. So yeah, Holmes starts crushing on Millie, and then Watson starts crushing on Grace, and this drives a bit of a wedge between Holmes and Watson. They do various crime solving things, and eventually they're stumped, and Holmes consults his brother, which is a, a good scene, and Holmes comes to the conclusion that only someone who was in his confidence could, could be the perpetrator, and the only person he can think of is Dr. Watson. It wasn't. And Dr. Watson is set to hang. Sherlock Holmes feels some feelings about this and then goes through Dr. Watson's stuff and realizes that Watson admired him. And he feels feelings about that and understands what it means to care about people. And understanding caring about people allows him to figure out the real motivation that it was actually Mrs. Hudson, who's actually Moriarty's daughter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They manage to figure out where this is all going down and they save... Queen Victoria, and everyone on the Titanic. Luckily, Watson does the big deed, and while people are thanking uh, Sherlock Holmes, he's like, no, 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 it was actually Dr. Watson who did the thing. And and then he starts seeing Watson as more of an equal, and they uh, go back to Baker Street to be co-detectives. I will point out that Holmes has
0: his emotional revelation via a song written by Alan Menken
1: of Disney fame. Yep, that Alan Menken. Basically, every good movie from the Renaissance and Tangled and, I think, Gallivant.
0: I think we have to start at Holmes and Watson. Not the movie. Yeah. The dynamic that we always talk about every episode. Mm -hmm. What do you think about their Holmes and Watson dynamic?
1: I am conceptually into this idea. I think Watson wanting to be seen as an equal and respected by Holmes is a really Mm -hmm. good dynamic. I didn't like it here because the style of the delivery with uh will ferrell and john c Riley didn't work for me because Mm -hmm. i it was closer to, to abusive and further from like a interesting dynamic and all that jazz but i like the idea of it and i think i i want to see more like this but not like this
0: my problem is that sherlock gnomes did basically a similar dynamic and they did it better which tells you oh no a lot about this movie i mean also, wow. I know Johnny Depp is a trash person forever. Mm-hmm. That's a decent movie, actually. Sherlock Gnomes.
1: Yeah, you need to get to it. I think that might be a, a thing we do with like a a podcast about after second season.
0: Yeah, we might. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get a bonus episode in about Sherlock Gnomes because I and we'll we'll maybe touch on it more as we go through this movie because there are several points that mirror <laughs> Sherlock Gnomes in this movie, wow. and Sherlock Gnomes does it infinitely better.
1: Wow, that is impressive. I, I don't know um, how much you want
0: to talk about it, because it will require me to spoil Sherlock Gnomes for you. A sense I never thought I'd have to say, like, questioningly.
1: <laughs> um, Go ahead. I, I think I can survive having Sherlock Gnomes spoiled.
0: So, then, the movie is about the characters of Nomeo and Juliet. Gnomes are going missing. All their friends, have, like, go missing. And they run into Sherlock Gnomes and Dr. Watson. And... Watson is very much the like second banana to Holmes and Holmes is completely oblivious and like just kind of, it's like, um, Freddie in the Scooby-Doo movie. It's Freddie and Velma Mm. where they just naturally are like, you're shock Holmes. What's the thing? And like Velma doesn't get any credit and Watson doesn't really get any credit. And so Moriarty's back and they're stealing these, you know, gnomes or whatever. And turns out, and he's leaving these cards with like the M on it. Like that's his calling card. And we learn at the very end, Watson was doing it. Because he was trying to prove that he could beat Sherlock Holmes and was thus an equal. And so Watson was the villain. And oh, it's really good. And, and they have like a touching scene at the end where they are like, oh, we're, we're best friends and I couldn't do this without you. We're Holmes and Watson, etc, etc. And like, that's really what this movie should have been.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the bit where Holmes like realizes that how much Watson cares about him and how much he cares about Watson and he starts to cry and he... At the start of the movie, Holmes, like, starts crying when he gets bullied, then he uncries, and the tear goes, like, back up into his eye, and it's kind of amazing. And here he can't uncry because his feelings are too strong. That was pretty good. I think if it was just that, it might have been fine, but they also have these, like, lovagerous characters in it that kind of muddy the waters, because there's also this, like, jealousy thing, and it makes it—there's too much happening, and it's not enough time to process all of it properly.
0: They just also didn't do the work of setting up a Holmes and Watson friendship they're hmm. bros throughout the movie they're very much bros but I don't get the like any kind of loyalty between them like at the beginning of the movie they become friends because Holmes in revenge gets every other student who bullied him expelled from school and Watson's the only person left because he's the janitor's son that's not really a strong basis of friendship and so throughout the movie I was just like I don't care like I'm supposed to because they're Holmes and Watson they're you know they're, like, peanut butter and jelly. But, like, I just didn't. And so I didn't actually give a shit about the, like, resolution of, oh, I care about you and we're co-detectives because at no point was I, like, made to care. Right. Because, like you said, it was very abusive.
1: Yeah. I think a part of it was I felt bad for Watson and wanted him to not be mm-hmm. in this toxic place. And this is slightly better than that, I guess. hmm Yeah. Yeah, but... I was kind of like, oh man, it's it's interesting. They're kind of playing off of the like potential for abuse in this relationship. But I'm now sad that Sher- that Sherlock Gnomes did it first and better, apparently.
0: Yeah, it's less. I think it's less openly abusive in that it's more of just like Sherlock Holmes thinks only of himself, and actually like he never actually stopped to think like, hey, maybe I'm taking Watson for granted, and it feels like this Holmes knows he is, but he's Sherlock yeah. Holmes, right? i love that i have gotten you far enough into studying around that you have opinions about the holmes and watson dynamic
1: <laughs> it's it's important and how how an adaption handles the holmes and watson is really important i think it would bother me less if the characterization was more consistent but holmes and watson were at once both they would oscillate between being competent and being utter buffoons and it wasn't like they're buffoons in certain ways it's just like they're Sometimes highly analytical and sometimes very like socially inept. It's hard to analyze a dynamic that is only as deep as whatever the next joke is.
0: That's a good point. And again, like going into a Will Ferrell, John Cerrone, Sherlock Holmes movie, right. I wasn't looking for like the Godfather level of like quality. I was more like you know I knew it was going to be joke to joke, but we have to take it as it is. Right. We are amateur professionals.
1: Yeah. It kind of reminded me almost you were those like. Uh, like the parody movies that came out like last decade, yeah, like um, Scary
0: Movie. Yeah, like that. the
1: Scary Movies, the mm-hmm. the Epic Movies, all those jazz. This felt like that, but for the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. I kind yeah. of
0: wish that they had leaned more into Scary Movie stuff, yeah. because there's a lot of like, and we'll get to this in a little bit. There's a lot of like mostly stupid jokes that were references to like modern day things. Like in mm-hmm. the trailer, they do a selfie but with, like, the stand-up tripod camera.
1: Would you mind if we had a picture together? Watson. Who is going to take the photograph? I will take it. You see, it's sort of a self-photograph. He's a real fan. I swear, I never do this. Hey, girl! Hey, girl!
0: Where Watson puts it against the tripod against his hip, and they try to take a picture with it. And, like, that's not that funny.
1: Like, It'd be funny if it was like a really quick thing, but it lasted for a good two minutes getting it all going.
0: I will say there is a point where they do—they're looking for a one-armed tattoo artist in the in the course of the case, and they end up getting very drunk. And Watson sends a drunk telegram to Doctor Grace Hart, and Holmes calls it an intoxigram, Which I, th- I actually thought that scene was kind of funny. Like that was a, mm-hmm. a, an amusing twist that they used. Like that, kind of, like they shoehorned in a selfie kind of. That one was like, that makes slightly more sense in the plot. Like, I didn't mind it as much.
1: right? And again, the intoxogram the went on a bit longer than it needed to, but it was still, like, a good concept, and they are still, like, playing in that space. But the other stuff that doesn't work nearly as well. Like, there's a kind of ongoing bit where the... So, the love interests are American, and there's a bit where they talk about how, in America, we have a democracy. Uh, we, we would never let, like, a tyrant lead us. And then they kind of go on this whole rambling bit about how oh it would be so bad if like a, a a braggart showman was your president and that kind of stuff and i'm like please no yeah. don't do this
0: well at one point in the film earlier holmes is trying to find his hat like what kind of hat mm. suits me and he does put on a fez that says make america great again or make england great again yep and like i don't know that's less egregious but like it dates it very specifically right. like if you're writing a movie and you're putting in topical references by the time it comes out they will not be topical anymore really Mm -hmm. and so i don't like that the fez was a thing like okay that's like oh okay that's that's of its time but the extended trump scene was just like why
1: i know that processing how bad the trump presidency is is like a thing we need to do in our own ways but i feel like a lot of shows and movies don't do much more than a skin deep thing like man this isn't good and that's Mm. about it it's not Mm. enough and i feel like
0: to some extent i'm starting to get trump joke fatigue and like movies and stuff Uh, over on equalizers we've as we're recording this just released our christmas chronicles 2 episode where they use fake news as a joke at one point and it's like great thanks cool i don't know i just i'm just getting tired of contemporary movies going to that well like i get it he's an abominable monster but like I don't need every movie I watch to have some kind of joke about it.
1: So that's exactly where we are. It's this problem of, like, it's bad comedy. It's people who, like, think they can do a good joke with this and they don't. It's really like how I think Supergirl has been called a nasty woman, like, three different times at this point?
0: So you mentioned these are kind of the scary movies of the Robert Downey Jr. films, and specifically, mm-hmm. the, the, the note I took from that was the Will Farrell's Holmes does the time freezes, and in his mind, he plays out the scenario, and there's, like graphs and all that, and it's like the, um, so in the first one, a they get a box with a mosquito in it. Yeah. And it gets loose. Will Ferrell and Jotzer always slap each other in the face a bunch of times, and then it lands on a, like, killer bee colony that Holmes is keeping in, like, a big glass jar or case or whatever. For in the room Yeah, because he's Holmes. Holmes keeps bees. That tracks. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not judging them on that aspect. And it lands on it, and Holmes picks up a cricket bat, and he leans forward for a second and then it goes into that freeze and he's like Angle of approach compensate for warp floor. Termination of mosquito. Well done. This. But he misjudges it and he cracks the case and it opens. And like that's obviously they're like mocking that. And there's a later one where he gets in a fight after they find the one-armed tattoo artist. And the whole bit that he does relies on the fighter, who's just a giant muscle dude, like muscly man, like the mountain from Game of Thrones and he's it's on he's gonna throw his pipe in the air and the guy's gonna look at it and then Holmes is gonna go into his very fancy like boxing thing but he doesn't and then he gets the shit kicked out of him and like all of them are like that like, every every time he tries to do it it always backfires and like I liked that I thought that was a, kind of a good ribbing of the Robert Downey Jr. films
1: yeah um, a part that I liked with that was there's a bit where like Watson learns to to do that basically but <laughs> like, he <laughs> So there's a like impossible situation or whatever, and like at Holmes is like accurately predicting. Oh, the bomb blast radius will be like thirty-seven feet. And you have like this going out.
0: It'll take me twelve seconds to get to.
1: Yeah, and Watson's the same thing, but he's like, uh, 20, Um, math is hard. What's that? Is that a plus? Is that an X? I can't tell. That was really funny, and that was exactly kind of ribbing this that I wanted from this. Yes, I was into it
0: when we talked, and I've said this before on Show sure October. I think I mentioned that I was like cautiously excited for it based on the trailer because the trailer made it seem like there was going to be a lot of like that like a lot more of like ribbing the Holmes stories and some of the more recent movies and it like just like that like it was going to kind of put uh, the Sherlock Holmes myth feet to the fire and we didn't get mm-hmm. that as much as I wanted but that was a great one like like he said there's my, that was my favorite part of his uh Watson's like entering into that mind space or whatever was the, like there's this equation off to the side like this clear like algebraic equation and he goes what does x stand for or is it a plus what is it doing like it's like twisting and like spinning like from x to plus and like that was really fun and the fight goes, oh damn it all or whatever and then just like bull rushes through the crowd punches through the drum where the bomb is hidden and throws it out the window
1: (laughs) right into uh
0: yeah moriarty's daughter right into mrs hudson hyphen moriarty's boat
1: also, I don't think I've ever seen Mrs. Hudson be the bad guy in a Sherlock Holmes thing. That's a good twist. I didn't see it coming, and, I, like, I actually gasped, because with this kind of thing where you're only going to have one movie, one narrative, you got to burn through all the, like, the named characters, basically, you might as well go for the big, like, what if this character is evil? What if this character did it? Whatever. What if Watson was the killer? What if the was the killer? What if Mrs. Hudson was the killer? And I've never seen that, and I'm like, wow, they they went there. That's really cool. I'm honestly impressed. I wish this was a better film, because like, Mrs. Hudson did it all along. It's a really good twist.
0: Yeah, I I liked Mrs. Hudson. It was interesting. I've never seen a Scottish Mrs. Hudson, either, Mm -hmm. which I liked it. I mean, they kind of did a um, Spider-Man Homecoming Aunt May with this, where they made her a very young, attractive woman, which usually she's a, a much older woman. I do think this is more of a technical thing. I'm pretty sure she had to come in for ADR for some scenes because I don't think her mouth matched up the whole time. There were a number of scenes where her mouth kept moving just a little too long after she stopped talking. Mm, Like, clearly saying words, not, like, doing some kind of, like, grinding of teeth or clenching of her jaw (laughs) or whatever. Like, she was clearly, like, mouthing words.
1: There is a joke towards the end about how, like, they can't understand her, and I'm wondering if she had to, like, come in and re-record her lines to be, like, more Scottish.
0: I stayed through the credits to see this because I know like in James Bond's first movie, Dr. No, and then in Goldfinger, two of the actors were hired on the promise that they could be understood very well in English, and then they couldn't. Mm. So they had to hire somebody to come in and dub over all the lines. So I was waiting to see if there was like somebody dubbed in over that lady because maybe she just was, like you said, entirely unintelligible or something. Mm. Uh, but there wasn't. So she did all the lines. So maybe... Probably more likely in those scenes, they just the the mic didn't pick her up as well as they thought it did, Mm -hmm. and so she just had to come in and like reshoot the like redo the lines in ADR. But I I liked her; I thought she was a good Mrs. Hudson. Yeah, both like very over their shit, but also like like when she poisons John C. Riley at Holmes's wish like, to test out this poison. She's like, oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Watson. I, I had, he didn't give me any choice or whatever. Like, very apologetic about like being part of their stuff, but also, like at times, super over their bullshit.
1: Oh, okay. This is a Holmes-Watson dynamic <laughs> thing we didn't talk about. I love the idea of Holmes poisoning Watson to see what the effects of a poison are, knowing mm-hmm. that he has the antidote, but wanting someone to test it on. It's a dark kind of Holmes. Like, not every Holmes is going to pull that off, but that kind of Holmes is a really interesting idea, and I was into that. The joke went on too long because, like, the the poison had, like, weird side effects, like turning you into a drama queen, making you afraid of spiders or whatever. A confused mime. Yeah, a confused mime. So, like, it stopped being funny, but it was a cool idea that they just executed.
0: And that leads to a point that I wrote down, that this movie never met a joke. It didn't run too long. Like, every joke was at least two things too long. Yeah. And I, I know that the Will Ferrell, Adam McKay style is to shoot a scene and then shoot about 10 more takes where Will Farrell and Co. just improvise stuff. And especially the scene where they were trying to get Mrs. Hudson's attention, like she was in some room, and they were screaming her name, which I actually kind of found amusing at one point, where Holmes is just yelling fire at the top of his lungs because <laughs> they're trying to get him. And Like, I, I think at one point Watson's like, I've killed Holmes, Mrs. Watson, come quick, or something like <laughs> that. That kind of made me laugh, but it did go like, Two or three things just too long. Like every joke in this was just too long.
1: Right. And like, again, if you pared that down, like the idea of them like screaming increasingly ridiculous things could totally work, but they didn't seem to be having fun. Like the acting made me think that they genuinely thought that she should have just teleported into their room the second they wanted her, which made me not like the characters as much. If it was a sure. thing where like, you know, they like Mrs. Hudson, nothing. Mrs. Hudson, then they start, like, making, like, like, increasingly fun with it. Mm -hmm. That could be, that could work better. Well, then it was revealed that
0: she was having sex with somebody in Dr. Watson's bedroom. Oh, yeah. Which was why she was taking so long to answer their calls.
1: A weird choice. Yeah, I mean,
0: probably, I'll say it, this is the most sexual Mrs. Hudson we've ever had. Elementary has a fairly sexual Mrs. Hudson. We know
1: that the Mrs. Hudson from, like, the BBC Sherlock had a scandalous past, but...
0: And she, I think she had something going with, like... The guy who ran the grocery store next door, or something. Good for her. I think she's still. This is still the most sexual Mrs. Hudson. But get at us fans. Right at in underscore Granada on Twitter.
1: Listen, I am one hundred percent here for like a Mrs. Hudson backstory. This like the scandalous adventures of Mrs. Hudson or something. That sounds great, honestly.
0: The Scarlet Lady.
1: God, yes. Anyway,
0: um, the Woman of Baker Street.
1: Two twenty one D's. Oh no. my
0: God. <laughs> in reference to jokes that went on too long, etc. On the one hand, I want to just touch on this very quickly. There's also overly specific visual jokes. There's a point where Holmes and Watson decide they're going to go undercover to look for the one-armed tattoo artist, and Holmes puts on this fake mustache or whatever, which is a great scene. It, it, I've talked about this before. Yes, I sure love is, yeah. the Holmes as master of disguise. He puts on this very clearly fake mustache. You can still tell it's him. And he like turns around and watson draws a pistol what have you done with sherlock why watson i never left
1: amazing
0: and like that was legitimately funny but then watson's character was a down on his look shit salesman and so like holmes like tears off his sleeves and he reaches down into the street to pull up like a handful of horse shit to like smother on his suit and it's like steaming that's you didn't need that why why was it steaming (laughs) I mean realism, but also like in this movie, like any other. If this had been like the Granada series, or even like the BBC Sherlock, for whatever reason they had horseshit in the street, I'd have been like, "Okay, realism. I guess I understand." Like, I'm still not a fan, but I get it. This movie, like, why? Like, this, this somebody specific was like that horseshit needs to be steaming.
1: We're gonna CGI
0: that, or they maybe practical effects.
1: <laughs> nah, like health and safety wouldn't let you put something like that hot next to mm-hmm. an actor who you cared about. You
0: no, it's it's. Sorry, it's John C. Riley. You said an actor who you cared about. Oh. That's fair. It's probably practical. Hopefully.
1: I don't want to get too into it because like
0: Yeah, we don't need to. I just want to like, touch on it briefly. Yeah.
1: Right, but like this movie put a lot of effort into things that maybe it didn't strictly need to put effort into, and I don't understand why.
0: That being said, there were some amazing background jokes. Like most of the background jokes were like my favorite jokes of the whole show. Or yes. movie. So like for example, we talked about the bees mm-hmm. that Holmes freeze trying to kill that mosquito. And which that was a very funny scene in its own way, because Watson draws two pistols and just starts firing at swarms of bees with pistols, which I thought was very funny. Like a good just like reaction. of like He's panicking. So he's just <laughs> shooting guns inside a inside an apartment at bees. Um, mm-hmm. and eventually, they like let them out the window and they fly away. And then like 30 minutes later in the movie, they're walking past a guy who's reading a newspaper and the headline says London terrorized by swarm of killer bees. Which was like a very good joke there. There's one where they stop with the horse shit thing. They get out of their carriage, and as they're walking and talking and like doing this whole thing in the background, these like five women of the night knock out the driver, drag him in the street, (laughs) beat the shit out of him. And by the time Holmes and Watson walk away, this dude's next to their cart trying to sell it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know he was trying to sell it. Yeah, like
0: at one point, either they start to walk away and he's like, horse and cart, get your, who wants a horse, like, buy a horse and cart, or, like, he's just selling
1: it now. <laughs> or, um, back to the newspaper headlines, there's, mm-hmm. uh, the end of, the climax takes place on the Titanic, uh, mm-hmm. before it, like, sails, so, which, yeah. Which, you know, uh,
0: 20, 30 years before it actually historically did sail.
1: It's fine. Um so whatever.
0: <laughs> it was steaming, which was super
1: weird. <laughs> God, <laughs> But Grace Hart, the doctor lady, who's been kind of... The joke is, oh, she's a woman doctor. How ridiculous. Uh, and, like, the headline says, what was it?
0: Uh, Titanic Sinks, Woman Doctor Saves 700 Lives.
1: <laughs> yeah. Again, funny. But mm-hmm. they had that running gag in there. And I appreciate that she saved a lot of people and that she made it out. I liked her. She was pretty cool. Um, this is uh, Rebecca Hall, who's been in kind of a lot of... Comedy things. But she's also been in a few like sort of respectable things. Like she she was an Iron Man.
0: Speaking of Doctor Hart, I want to touch on this. Her patient in quotes, Millicent slash Millie, the feral cat woman, played by Lauren Lapkus. uh What'd you think of her?
1: Uh, I was super uncomfortable with everything. Mm-hmm. I I kind of expected them to have a reveal that she wasn't actually a cat woman and she was just like messing with them mm-hmm. and. And then, you know, they reveal that, and she would just, like, pull no leg and stuff, and I'm like, cool, that's what I wanted. But then she's still actually into Sherlock, and, oh, no, I don't want this. I want this to be 100% like an Irene Adler situation, not a BBC Irene Adler situation. Right.
0: Not most of the visual medium Irene Adlers, because it's a, it's a common failing to have her be in love with Sherlock Holmes and vice versa. Right. It was uncomfortable because they were like, ha-ha, she has the brain of a child, ha-ha. She honestly, Lauren Lapis kind of saved that part, though, in a way. Because oh, yeah. she's just so funny in general. Like, her facial expressions were so funny. And um, on the Titanic, they save the day, and Grace blows Dr. Watson a kiss, and he catches it and puts it to his lips, and then Holmes is like, oh, I should do that. And he blows a kiss at Millie, and she just cocks a shotgun at him, like, suddenly, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, like, her facial expression yes. sold it. It was so good. Like, that was really funny. Like,
1: Laurel was having a great time here.
0: It's kind of, in a way, it's like, um, we've referenced this before, or this show specifically, the Matt Smith era of Doctor Who, where the scripts were pretty much garbage. But Matt Smith, Karen Gillan, and Arthur Darvill managed to salvage something out of it because just by, like, sheer force of will and personality. <laughs> the part was, like, kind of a bummer in one regard, but then, like, Lauren Lafkiss was ma- a- was somehow able to make it funny. I was laughing, but also, like, I get that this is not great. Just somehow right. she was, like, got skirted around making it
1: terrible. She was giving, like, 110% of it, and I appreciate that. Um, and she served as a good foil to Grace Hart, who was kind of being slightly more serious. Like, she was a little bit more aware that, you know, sexism is a problem. Mm-hmm. Although it also gives a lot of, like, really good jokes about, like, medical science in the Victorian era being not great uh, and how she's like a pioneer in electroshock therapy some of her some of <laughs> yeah. my patients have lived almost a whole year
0: yeah i love like that was the thing that i kind of chuckled at like it's it's an old trope of like setting something in the past and having them praise how advanced they are watson does it like oh there's nothing left to learn about medicine or whatever like <laughs> They did a weird autopsy scene, which I was extraordinarily comfortable during. My sister pointed out that the song that they put on the phonograph was the same one from the pottery scene in Ghost. <laughs> As they're rubbing cake off of a corpse sensually. You didn't mishear my audience. That was a. that's the scene.
1: I looped like the this is weird, this is funny, this has gone on too long, mm-hmm. this is weird, this is funny loop several times. I think it come down on the side of kind of liking that scene, actually. But also, I didn't watch this with my family, so no, it, that helps.
0: It wasn't... It, we were fine. It was okay. But, like, I, I was more of just, like, the why is this happening for, like, most of it? Like, and, and I, I'm okay with it as well. Like, in retrospect, like, looking back at the movie <laughs> as a whole, it was one of the less stupid scenes, like it was a joke for sure and like i liked it there was a point where so real quick for for listeners there's a big party thrown for Holmes, and as they cut into the cake a dead body comes out and that's where they find the message like i'm gonna kill the queen in four days blah 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 blah. so they're doing the autopsy on that corpse so it's covered in birthday cake basically and they're like scrubbing the birthday cake off very sensually. and there was a point where watson scoops a little bit of cake out of the belly button with his index finger and I just went, do not feed that to her. Do not feed Because I don't trust them not to. They didn't. They didn't do it. But I was legitimately concerned that he was then going to feed her that bit of birthday cake off the tip of his finger.
1: Honestly, I kind of wish they had just gone like full bore with it. But like it would be in a very different movie where that happens. Like that would be the kind of thing you'd see in like an Adam's Family or the end of the fucking world.
0: In retrospect again though, looking at the rest of the movie's jokes that was the bit that they didn't take that far.
1: Exactly. Like, they, this movie kind of almost needed to go harder.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right. Like, it tra- it kind of waffled too much. Mm-hmm.
1: One thing it did not waffle on was getting Hugh Laurie to play Mycroft.
0: Fun fact for you, in the Robert Downey Jr. films, uh, Stephen Fry plays Mycroft Holmes, who was the comedy partner of Hugh Laurie back in the day. A bit of Fry and Laurie.
1: Yeah! Yes, I remember that now.
0: I realized that like two hours after I'd seen the movie, it hit me like, oh, Fry and Laurie, they've both been Mycroft Holmes now. Which he did a good job. I really liked his Mycroft and their like think speech where they could like read each other's minds pretty much. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the good jokes of the movie with Watson trying to like butt in.
1: Yeah, the parts of this movie that are kind of bizarre and surreal, like Sherlock being able to uncry and Mycroft and Sherlock being able to like mind think were really fun and i wanted more of that kind of bizarro stuff in it
0: so for the people who haven't seen this movie holmes and mycroft are doing this basically like they're having a full conversation silently because they're geniuses and they can and they've deduced this whatever and watson's off to the side and he starts trying to also join the conversation and it's just john (laughs) c Riley staring at them intently going think think talk think Think, talk, thoughts, thoughts, think, talk. Like, they're having an (laughs) actual conversation, and he's just like, Think, talk, think, 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 talking, think. find killer. So they're like, maybe you should go to the companion's room. And he tries not to, but they end up making him go. And there's basically the elephant man. There's a person with a burlap sack over their head with, like, a bowler hat on top of it.
1: There's a room with, like, the elephant man, a monkey, and other characters who I'm sure I would recognize if Mm -hmm. I, like, if I had a guy, but I didn't get it. But I feel like there was some good jokes in there.
0: I think they probably just took, like, standard sidekick tropes, like an animal, a little British child, or whatever, like...
1: Mm, sure. We have a lot of the jokes are not that great, but there's one that made me laugh really hard. Sure. It's kind of an obvious one, honestly, but it was still good. Um, they're going through the list of suspects, like, wait, what if Mrs. Hart is, is the killer, and Sherlock's like, no, no, don't be silly, she's an American, she would have used a gun. <laughs> yeah.
0: And Watson nods like, oh, of course.
1: And that joke is in and out and gone, and and they don't like dwell on that thought. And I'm like, okay, wow, that was dark but funny, and you like executed that well. Thank you. Like, I know the joke is America has a gun problem, and that's not actually that funny, but it was still like a good like dark humor moment.
0: Similarly, a joke I really liked was they're at the bar and they're they're a little bit sloshed, and Watson goes homes they have boxing here and it cuts to them with like betting slips yelling as orphans are boxing and uh and it's like two of the street urchins we've already seen but like one of them and one of them's uh bella Ramsey, who most people will know as leona mormont from game of thrones
1: and who we know is mildred hubble because uh we have good taste in films
0: and she's also hilda on the netflix show hilda but they're boxing and one of like this little Scrawny kid just knocks her down and jumps on top of her and is about to just start wailing on her and a like a a referee pulls him off and wants like unhand oh, that child and, Watts, and I think Holmes is like I want have dad or something like that like they're just like so <laughs> into orphan boxing that was a nice like like you said kind of a dark touch of like oh orphan boxing Ooh, but like also done just very like in and out and done
1: right it helped it actually like fairly well choreographed like I was impressed I'm trying to think because I
0: I'll say it I chuckled a lot throughout this movie i know that you mm. probably didn't i found that when will ferrell is at his best the joke is like you laugh at it because it, sh- it surprises you more than anything but when you rewatch it it's not as good like n- it's never as good the second time around a lot of the jokes are shock value
1: there are a few things that kind of early on that put me in an antagonistic place so i was kind of oh, less sure. inclined to laugh and i think i probably if i'd had like a a few beers or whatever i probably would like this a lot more sure
0: so let's touch on Holmes has feelings yeah that's how I phrased it in our notes I being firmly and outspokenly in the kind of arms crossed pouty no 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 camp <laughs> I didn't care for that like I get it they're they're going for a character arc which I get like as a in a filmmaking stance but also like I just I don't know I didn't care for the oh he got his heart broken as a kid and so he swore off emotion forever and that's why he's Sherlock Holmes now like
1: Holmes is not in a backstory. Yeah. Really? I, I,
0: yeah. Kind of. I mean, that's time we could have spent establishing why Watson is so fervently loyal to this mm-hmm. guy when he shouldn't be. <laughs> when everyone else in the world is like, why? Why? What are you doing? <laughs> that's time we could have spent with that to build a better resolution that way. But right. so when the betrayal at the end, he's like, no, Watson did it, that would have had a better punch because we've been like with Watson the whole time. Mm
1: hmm. I think the idea of Sherlock realizing that the feelings he's repressing or not coping with are clouding his judgments, Mm -hmm. and that he, you know, him realizing, "Oh, I'm not entirely rational. I do have, I do have emotional like influences," is a good arc. Mm -hmm. It's done really badly here.
0: I just, I don't think they needed the backstory for that that arc to happen. Like, I love the. We talked about this with his final when they're on the Titanic and he can't do the like thinking it through. Like he always says, because at every point he's like, see Millie, think about how deep her eyes are. Oh, forget about the bomb. Oh, I forgot about the bomb. And then it explodes in his like scenario. It's like, all right, Mm -hmm. time to bomb exploding. 37 seconds. And like, he just keeps going back. And every time he like happens to see Millie and forget about the bomb and it blows up. If I'm taking this as the like, okay, this is happening. This arc that I'm not a fan of is happening. That was a good means of like bringing Watson then into the, into the, like the driver's seat.
1: Right. And, like, if Millie, if there was something, like, uncomfortable, like, at this time we thought she was a four-year-old thing, I'd be super into that. That made me go, mmm. But, like, if it were for that bit, like, if it was just an Irene Adler or whatever, mm-hmm. I'd be like, yeah, that's a good, like, that's a good use of your jokes there. Sure.
0: Speaking of the Titanic, you wanted to talk about Watson and the Titanic.
1: Uh, So the whole arc is Watson wanting to have respect, and he saves the day, and like praising Sherlock Holmes, and Sherlock is like, No, no, uh, this is Watson. It's all Watson here. From now on, I want you to remember the time that Watson saved the Titanic. When you think of the Titanic, I want you to think of Dr. John Watson.
0: He says, my favorite bit was, he says, Whenever you think of your loved ones, your family, or friends here on this boat, (laughs) think of the name Dr. John Watson. (laughs) (laughs) What's <laughs> the one that really got me the most?
1: Yeah, that was really funny to me. Like I that was a good use of like dramatic irony for a period piece that worked really well. I liked that. For these characters, it was still a good arc because Sherlock doesn't know the boat's gonna sink. So to him it's just like this is an actually a good thing. So it worked and it was still funny, but it, you know, it still had that like darkly comedic tone of, wow, people died. I listened to that.
0: You mentioned at the end when we learned that Millie isn't uh the feral cat child that we thought she was. And I actually kind of liked that scene a little bit. He says, like, oh, I wasn't actually in love with you. I was doing an experiment on emotions or something. And she then immediately breaks care. He's like, well, that's good, because I wasn't in love with you. I was doing an experiment on male ego. It's like, very clearly, her's like, well, I, of course I knew that. And I was doing an experiment on you. About, and they keep doing, like, a back and forth. I'm like, well, I was doing through," And then they just start kissing very badly. And they break. <laughs> and Holmes goes, you may not believe this, but that was my first kiss. And very, like... Full smock as she goes, Me too. We've already mastered it. And like, I thought that was a pretty funny joke. Like,
1: it, it was. Like, there's again, I think if I'd been in a less antagonistic space, I would have liked that scene a lot more. Oh, sure. Like, now now that I'm thinking about it when I've had some distance from the overall movie. I'm like, Yeah, that was funny. Why well, wasn't I laughing more at that? And then we'll
0: end, I think, unless you have more to talk about, with the joke of as they board the Titanic, they're talking, and then Holmes goes, Well, there's Billy Zane. And, uh, Billy Zane is getting on the Titanic, who, if I'm not mistaken, was in the movie Titanic.
1: Oh, that's what that was. Okay. I, was like, I, I did not remember that. So like, what's happening? Here? I didn't
0: get that either. Cause I haven't seen Titanic, but my sister was cracking up. And so I asked her later what, what the thing was. And she told me that he was in the movie Titanic. So that was the joke. I think he might've been Kate Winslet's husband, boyfriend, etc, etc. But I could be wrong, having never seen it. I also probably could have done research before this episode to figure that out.
1: A quick Google shows me that, yes, he was Cal Hockley, who was kind of the... You've seen Moulin Rouge. Imagine the Duke if he was young and hot. And mm. you've got the character. Well, younger and hotter. Other jokes to laughed at... Come, Watson. We have a killer to catch. Yeah! No shit, Sherlock! And that made me laugh. Also, this is... is a joke that went on too long, but Watson very clearly wants to fuck the Queen. <laughs> Majesty, may I present to you the greatest detective of all time,
0: Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson.
1: I love you. Watson. <clears throat> oh, <sighs> what a looker, right? Queen Victoria, who's like in her 80s at least, which no wouldn't have laughed at, but Philosophy Tube just released a 30-minute video exploring the problems with monarchical thinking and why we need to abolish the monarchy through the lens of sexual attraction to the queen that has a twist ending. And I was thinking of that video the whole time, and if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. We'll put a link in the description. It's very good.
0: I understood most of those words. (laughs) Well, if you don't have anything else... We didn't really touch on the Alan Menken song. It was okay.
1: Yeah, they sang it well. It was was Alan Menken, so it's a good song, but... Like, I'm not going to, I don't remember many of the words, but I remember thinking, oh, this is all right.
0: There was a quote under the Diogenes plaque that was something like, a club where we can get away from all of you, or something like that. I don't know, it was very much a miserly, we hate everybody quote, which I enjoyed, but I didn't have time to jot down.
1: Right. Oh, um, they also did manage to, they specifically say that Moriarty is responsible for half of all of it. Half all that is evil and all that goes unseen during mm-hmm. his trial, which is a like actual quote from the final problem, and I like that. That was good.
0: At the end, when um, Watson is being forced to write the story about how Holmes lost to Missus Hudson Moriarty, uh, he does use the line, "The man who I would always will always consider the best and wisest," which is at the end of the final problem. Yeah. Which both of those quotes you all will hear this upcoming mm-hmm. season. Speaking of which, Jackson. When's that new season coming out? Our threes of fans are
1: clamoring for it. <laughs> well, we took a break because, you know, it was the holiday season we were pretty tired. And we planned to release an episode on the holidays, but we messed up our schedule. And-
0: we originally meant to release the Blue Carbuncle on Christmas.
1: Because it's a Christmas episode. Yeah.
0: I agree with the scheduling, so we released it a lot earlier.
1: Yep. But worry not dear friends we are going to get back into the swing of it and on february 27th you will all be joining us under the copper beaches we're rare to meet thy go